and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of all, to the praise and the glory and the honor of God the Father. There's a day when we will, we will bow before the great God of the ages, before the King of glory. And when we, when we bow before him, it will be for those who have professed faith in him and trusted in him before, it will be for great joy and great excitement and great awe and worship that flows from the depths within. And for those who do not know the Lord as Savior, it will be that they bow from great fear and from the command of an ever-loving God who will bring justice upon those who have not professed faith and trusted in Christ. And so, as we begin this morning, I couldn't help but to just share that captivating thought with you. And even as we look into this text this morning, it, it, it's relevant for what we are talking about. It's relevant for, for biblical stewardship. Uh, as you see on the screens here, the title of the message, this is our fir- fourth, uh, fourth uh, sermon throughout this series on biblical stewardship. And biblical stewardship has to do with uh, how we live and how we use what God has entrusted to us for His glory. The way that we employ all that God has given us for His glory in making the kingdom of God known across the world, across the globe, and spreading God's name across the globe. Making disciples of the nations here, how are we doing with living in a way that honors God with our stewardship, with what He has entrusted to us? And so the text this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Verses 1 through 15. But before we read the text... Let us pray. Father, we come this morning before you with humble hearts, with a desire to worship you and to praise you, and a desire, I, I pray, a desire that we would, uh, we would long to look in your word and to see how you want to instruct our lives and how we, as your children, as your sons and daughters, would be able to live faithfully for you and for your glory, for the the spreading of your kingdom, for making disciples of the nations. And so, Father, this morning as we approach your word, I, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and give us minds to comprehend and, uh, God, give us give us hearts to love and to long for your word so that as we hear your word, you would apply it into our lives, and God, that we would be transparent before you, open to the working and promptings of your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at the topic of biblical stewardship, and we've we've camped out in a few different places throughout Scripture, and this morning we'll go to the epistle of 2 Corinthians. But before we get there, I, I just wanted to just kind of refresh our memories for those of us who maybe haven't made all of the studies uh, on Sunday mornings, or uh, just to kind of take us through and, and see the, uh, the thread that's woven throughout what we've been talking about with regard to biblical stewardship. We've understood, even from the beginning, that God owns everything. But even, that, even before that, that the foundation of all that we have, the foundation of living for Christ, is understanding that God desires us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Colossians 1.9, that we be filled with the knowledge of Him in all, wisdom and spir- in, all, uh, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Even from Psalm 24.1, we see that God is the one who is over and owns all things. 
The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. We've seen that God has entrusted his people, his creation, with the responsibility to steward to steward those gifts that he has given us. And that would be fleshed out in, in the amount of finances. It would, be, it would be fleshed out in our lives through the gifts, the spiritual gifts he's entrusted to us. It would be fleshed out in, maybe in the homes we have, in the relationships, in the job, and so on and so forth. We begin to see everything in our lives as a result of God's gracious provision and gifting. And then also that we are held accountable we're held accountable for what we do with those gifts that God has given us. And we even looked at the parable of the, uh, of, of the slaves who, was in, who were entrusted, right, with, with talents from their master. And they went away and two of them employed them, one of them buried them. And then they were called into account. And then there was the reward given to those who were faithful in what they had been entrusted with. Enter into the joy of your master and to the one who was unfaithful that did not employ what God had, what the master had given him. It was the... Cast the wicked, lazy slave into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I say all that to say as we approach this passage this morning in 2 Corinthians, I wanted us to see a model of biblical stewardship in action. What does it look like in action when it's employed in the day-to-day living of a congregation, of a, of a people, of a body of believers. I think we see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see this Paul giving this, this, this Macedonian model of what it looks like. There, there's this church, the churches of Macedonia, who, have been, uh, who, have, who are contributing to the needs of the saints. And then you also see him exhorting in 2 Corinthians, writing from Thessalonica. He, he's exhorting the church of Corinth to continue in this work of contributing to the needs of the saints, of making this collection and, and coming together as, as one big uh, group of believers to support the needs of other believers. And I, I think what we see in this passage is this, is this challenge to, to very practically live out our faith in a way that is reflective and illustra- illustrative, that's a word, illustrative of what God has done in our lives through the grace of Christ. He has so richly and freely given to us. Therefore, that becomes the basis for the Macedonian church in their giving so graciously to the church in Jerusalem. So the background here in this passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is that Paul is about to come through and he sends Titus. He's heading on his way back to Jerusalem to bring the contribution that's been collected from all the churches in the region. He's bringing it back to relieve them because they are in desperate need. They are in dire, uh, they're in dire position and they are struggling because there's a famine in the land and they're very poor. And so Paul appeals to these other churches to make a collection so that they would bring relief and aid to the church that's struggling in Jerusalem. And he talks about the church of Macedonia, and we'll see it in a few minutes, of how they were struggling greatly in poverty. Persecution uh, broke out against these churches in Macedonia. In fact, if you would reference Acts chapter 16 and 17, that's kind of the background of this passage where Paul is traveling through Macedonia. He was on his way into Asia, and the Holy Spirit stopped him from going into Asia and told he, he had a vision. A man came to him in a vision, and he left from there and went straight, made a straight line into Macedonia. And as he arrived there, he began preaching the gospel and traveling throughout the region of Macedonia. Believers were converted. But as they preached the gospel and set up churches across Macedonia, 
persecution followed. And so this persecution uh, was encountered by the churches. And it's out of this great persecution that we see the Macedonians giving graciously to what, um, to what needs the, the saints have in Jerusalem. And so if you found your place in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I know that was a bit of a long introduction, but if you found your place in verse 1, say amen. Let's read. Follow along as I read. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, But first, they gave of themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all in, in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a commandment. But it's proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter. For this is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago. Not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also. So that just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may also be a completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. The Apostle Paul is challenging the Corinthian church first to see this model of the Macedonians and what they had given Paul is making known a common need to the churches, the Gentile churches throughout the land, that the church in Jerusalem is experiencing this great famine and this great need. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, we read how in the earlier letter, Paul had already encouraged and challenged the church. He said, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you do. On the first day of each week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. And to the church in Rome, he had said this in Romans fifteen twenty six: For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. See, Paul's approach and perspective can be seen in verses 13 through 15 here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where he says, For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. In verse 15, As it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. You see, what Paul is saying to the believers in the church of Corinth and what has been manifested or, or revealed in the church of, churches of Macedonia is that God has graciously gifted you 
so that you can graciously gift others. That's what Paul is telling them. But before we go any further, I just kind of want to pause and and say that the perspective that Paul approaches the church of Corinth is from this, that he wants them to exercise this gracious giving out of a love for God. Out of a relationship of love, not out of a command. That's why he says towards the end of the passage, he says, I'm not saying this as a command. I'm not commanding you. I'm giving you my opinion in the matter. This is for your benefit. Here's what Paul knows. Paul knows that if their hearts are in tune and in step with God, then they will be uh, desirous and, and, and wanting to give graciously from the grace of God. And so this morning, if you think you're here to hear a, a, a tithing sermon, that's not the case. I, I'm wanting to exhort us in this relationship of giving. The relationship we have with God in, in giving to the Lord, I, I would liken it to the marriage relationship or the father-son and mother-daughter or father, whatever relationship in the, the family structure you want to you compare there. There, there, is not a, there is not an exercising of love because it's commanded, is there? There's not a treating uh, the, the significant other or the child in a gracious way because we are commanded to do so, is it? No, no we do this out of love. We exercise, we exercise goodness toward our spouse because we love our spouse. We, we want to serve our spouse. We want to see them benefited. Or, or towards our children, we, we don't say, well, the, I'm going to schedule to spend time with you from X to X. And, and I'll invest in you during that time. That's not what we do. It's not about, it's not about that command. It's not about uh, something so structured like that. The, the point is, it's about grace. It's about compassion. It's about understanding what Christ has done for them so that they in turn would give freely and generously. And that's exactly what we see happening in the Macedonian church among those believers. And so we want to see biblical stewardship in action in this passage. And so Paul appeals to the Corinthian church through the example of the Macedonians in verses 1 through 5. And what you'll notice in verses 1 through 5, there's this, there's this natural progression in these verses 1 through 5 that the Macedonian churches experience. The first is it, it begins with knowing and seeing the grace of God. And then it leads them to a place of an abundance of joy, which ends it results in their gracious or generous giving according to God's leading and desire. And so I think first... In, in looking at the Macedonian model, our first point this morning, we, we must first understand the grace of God. We must understand that the grace of God is foundational for understanding the, the gracious giving of the Macedonians. And so first I want you to see that they were transformed by the grace of God. This is what happened in the lives of the church. This is what happened in the lives of those individual believers that made up the church, their lives were transformed by the grace of God. In fact, the word grace occurs 10 times in chapters 8 and 9 here in 2 Corinthians alone. And grace is simply this. Grace is understanding or coming to grips with the richness of God expressed to his creation through the cross of Christ 
where God mercifully reconciles sinners to himself through his son. That is the grace of God. A person who is transformed by grace recognizes preeminently that God has performed something in the life, in, in, in the life of an undeserving and unnecessary act in the life of a sinner, an unworthy sinner. The grace of God manifests itself then most clearly through Christ's sacrificial work on the cross and what he has done. He has come to us and he has given us life through his cross, through his life being poured out and him taking upon himself the cup of the Father's wrath. For the Macedonian believers, their giving reveals an understanding of just exactly what God has done in their life to redeem them and to reconcile them. They understand that giving is not the way that they show God what they can do for Him. But instead, it's a way of reflecting what God has so richly already done for them. Their contribution to the the greater contribution of the saints reflects their trust in God's providential care that He is caring and He is concerning and He is watching out for them. And so when the Macedonians experienced the grace of God, it radically changed them and it transformed them so that no longer, it it wasn't any longer about them, but it was about serving God. About Colossians 1, 9, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord and being filled with the knowledge and understanding of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so when they were transformed by the grace of God, it, it impacted not only Uh, Everything impacted their attitude. It changed everything about them. I want you to notice in verses 2 and 4 how it impacted their attitude. In verse 2, that in, in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed. They had an abundance of joy in the midst of affliction. There was great affliction. That word affliction means testing. It's something that comes in from the outside. These are circumstances that come in, external circumstances that come in and weigh heavy on the life of a believer or are in the church's life. There was great affliction that these churches were walking through. Their affliction really was a source of their testing, though. Verse 2, it tells us that they were in deep poverty. Now, there was likely a great connection here because their deep poverty was brought on because of uh, their faith in Christ. And as they were, uh, as they were shunned and, and excluded, uh, they would go to the markets and people wouldn't sell. Or when they'd go to sell at the market, people maybe wouldn't buy because they have the name of Christ attached to them. And, and, and they, became, uh, they became poor, very poor, deeply poor. And this was an affliction and a testing that they would walk through. But it was the grace of God that taught them how to have joy in the midst of their life-altering circumstances. It's life-altering circumstances for sure to, to be at the place where the Macedonian churches were in deep poverty. Literally poverty that reaches to the depths. But it says that they overflowed in their wealth of liberality. And, and that word overflowed, it, it means I think what we, what we would... I think it means an abundance of beyond what's expected. And so here's the picture. They were in great affliction. 
They were in deep poverty. But there was a joy in their life because look at what happened in verse 4. They were begging. It wasn't Paul coming to them saying, give. They were begging to participate. They were begging to participate in the collection of the saints. You know, this isn't what the world would expect would happen from those who are in the depths of poverty. They gave, in fact, so much beyond what was expected that it was really an illustration of God's grace in their life. I mean, they gave with a wealth of liberality as they begged for the opportunity to participate. Verse 4 literally says, begging us with much urging for the grace of fellowship in the the service of the saints. They considered, listen, here's the picture. They considered their ministry in giving as ministering the gospel to the saints in Jerusalem. This is part of the fellowship. They, they have that mindset. This is part of the fellowship that we get to participate in. And so this was a reflection, an illustration of God's grace in their lives. They saw their participation in this ministry as giving and joyful in the gospel. Only the grace of God can, can bring a people who are at such poverty to a place of contentment and joy in life where their giving is an overflow of the abundance of joy. You know, it resonates with me that Paul didn't beg them to participate in the giving. Instead, they were begging him to participate, right? I think about just a couple of verses uh, further in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where the Apostle Paul says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. There's the heart of the matter. That God desires that we would be cheerful in what we bring before him and lay before him. Matthew 6.20, Jesus hits at the same thing. It's on the the front of the uh, the worship folder there for you. Matthew 6.20 and 21, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. The idea is that the Macedonians, they were delighting in God. There was a joy uh, and delight in, in their giving and participating in this, this fellowship, in this ministry of the gospel. And we learn that from the Macedonians. We learn that no matter what outward circumstances might come in our lives, when we recognize the grace of Christ in our lives, we hold nothing back from God because Christ has given all for us. That's the picture that Paul is trying to help us to see. So I would ask us, church, what brings us joy in life? What, what brings us to a point of this overflowing, abundant joy? Is it at the end of the service when we come and lay our offering before the Lord in the form of our finances? Is it when we participate in the collection of the saints in order to send and uh, and, and to send and, and spend money to give money to the heifers for Pastor George in Uganda? Is it when we participate in the Lottie Moon Christ, Christmas offering where we gave 5000 and some, some dollars to, to go to support the work of international missions? Is it the joy that comes when, when Crosspoint, we gave $25,000 this year to go and to support the work of the gospel that was established three years ago 
um, in the church replant that we sent out to Mid-City, the, the team, to go there. Is that the story? Is that where, does, does abundant joy flowing and welling up from within cause that to happen? And is it, is it joy for us when we come and we lay these gifts before the Lord? I want to challenge us this morning that it ought to be. We ought not seek for joy in increasing power or position or possessions or pleasure. That's not where joy is going to be found. Listen, joy is going to be found in Christ. There is an abundance of joy in Christ in walking with him. There is an abundance of joy like we cannot find in this world. Not only did the grace of God transform their attitude, it it changed their action. It changed their actions. We see it in verses 3 and 5. He said, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. This was the this was the action of the church. But before that, look at verse 5. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. This is that progression. The grace of God leads to abundance of joy, which brings about gracious giving. But notice first the importance of personal surrender. The importance of personal surrender in verse 5. It says that they first gave of themselves to the Lord. This is the Lordship of Christ. This is surrendering our lives to Christ, that we want to follow Him, that we are committed to Him first and foremost, that we look to Him to get direction for our family. We look to Him to get direction for what we're doing in life, where we're going, how we are, how we are advancing in this job. What, whatever it is, we, we are surrendered under His Lordship. They first gave of themselves to the Lord, and we see that God desires that you and I be committed to Him first and foremost. If there's anything to be learned from the Macedonians, it's not about how much we give, but about what we give, right? It's about what we give. And when we see that in the proper perspective, in the proper light, we realize first that we give of ourselves to the Lord. And once we give of ourselves to the Lord, He owns it all, (laughs) We're ready and surrendered, ready to, ready to give, ready to be generous and even gracious as the Macedonians were. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, the love chapter, he says, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. It begins with a love for God, personal surrender, But secondly, it's the surrender of possessions, surrender of possessions for ministering the gospel. That's what the Macedonians are after here. They're surrendering their possessions to minister the gospel to the saints in Jerusalem, much in the same way that we would we would surrender our possessions to minister the gospel throughout the city, throughout the church as a as a local body here and throughout the nations. Paul characterizes the Macedonians by their generous giving It says, according to their ability, in verse 3, and beyond, they gave. This generous giving, the word in verse 2, generosity, liberality. It's exclusively Pauline word. 
And it, and it means to have open-hearted liberty, open-hearted generosity, and open-handed generosity when it comes to giving and participating in the, the gift. The Macedonian churches had a reputation for their open-handed generosity. And that's what he's pointing out here. They gave according to their ability and beyond. And Paul is saying they gave more than we could have even expected. Not that they went in debt, so to speak, maybe as we would think if we read this passage, but they, they gave beyond what, was, what could be expected of them. And it flowed from this abundance of joy. Why? Why did they do that? Because they made the connection between their contribution and ministering the gospel as joyful service to God. They saw that even the little they had was from God. They modeled what ought to be the mindset of every believer today, that everything, everything we have, everything in our lives, everything in my possession is God's already, and I'm just a steward of God's things. That was the recognition of the Macedonian believers I would say, friends, what's our attitude and, and actions when, when it comes to our relationship with God and when it comes to our giving to the Lord? What's our action? What's our attitude? How are, how are, we, how are we engaging? Does our life look like the Macedonian model here that we are, we are giving generously and joyfully for the glory of God? Paul's pointed out, the Macedonian model in verses 1 through 5, but I want to turn our attention to the exhortation of the Corinthians, the Corinthian challenge. And as we see the Corinthian challenge, I hope we see that this is our challenge too in verses 6 through 12. The Corinthian challenge is our challenge too. And we begin by noting in verses 6 and 7 that Paul is saying to them, let your righteous living be matched by your, gener- your gracious giving. Let your righteous living be matched by your gracious giving. And so he says, so we urge Titus, as he has previously made a beginning, so he would complete in you this gracious work as well. Verse 7, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in love we inspired in you see that you abound in this gracious work also that word abound we should make the connection that that paul is calling the church to see the word for abound or excel in the esv it's the same word that's used back in verse 2 describing the overflowing nature the overflow of the macedonians faith in action Think about the Corinthian church, if you can recall 1 Corinthians, how they had a great faith. And, and so Paul comes and he, in 1 Corinthians, he, he challenges them in their perspective of how elevated their faith is. But here, Paul is not challenging them in spite. He is rather affirming them just as you abound in everything. Listen, in faith, in, in utterance, the, the faith, it, it's the deep exercising of Uh, of trust in God for the Corinthian church of utterance, that is, in declaring the truth and knowledge and earnestness, referring to their zeal for following and serving Christ in their love, that is, their affection for one another, their affection for Christ. He says, see to it that you abound, in verse 7, in this gracious work also. 
Paul commands or commends rather the Corinthians for their overflowing or excelling faith as it's displayed among their body. And here's the challenge he's calling us to see as well. There's this great faith being exercised in the midst of the body of Christ in Corinth. And he's challenging them that their great faith would not stop at the way they're exercising it among one another. But it would also, just like the Macedonians in their overflowing generosity and overflowing contribution for the needs of Jerusalem, that the, Mas- the, the Corinthians would in the like, uh, like manner give graciously and generously in an overflowing and abounding way. He desires that their gift would would be a gift that matches their great faith. Because the reality is, our giving is always a reflection of our faith. Is it not? Our giving is always a reflection of our faith. I remember being in, in Uganda, it was a couple years ago, and um, Pastor Jackson was one of the church planning pastors that was sent out by Bugari Baptist Church. They saw what Cross Point did with Grace and said, hey, we can do that too. And so they sent out Pastor Jackson, and uh, well, I, we were supporting Pastor Jackson. And um, so we, I went, uh, one other guy with me, we went to Pastor Jackson's church, Isra. Baptist Church, and preach, uh, preached there that day, attended worship with him, um, and it was amazing to me as we came to the time in the service where, uh, where they were giving and uh, bringing their offerings before the Lord. They, they do it much like we do it here, uh, except whenever they come down the aisles to bring their offerings, they, they're singing and they're dancing, and so that's a little different than we do here, right? Uh, but you're welcome to dance if you want to bring and just have joy in the midst of presenting your offering before the Lord. But, but that's really, that's the, uh, that's the atmosphere. That, that's what's happening in the midst of the church there in Uganda as they're bringing their offering and laying it before the Lord. But their offering wasn't exactly what you and I might expect. There was an egg in the basket. And there was an avocado in the basket. And there were a few shillings that had been, that was their money. There were a few shillings that had been placed in the basket as they brought these offerings before the Lord joyfully. And it was, it was amazing just to, to watch and to see God's grace. And I want to just empty my pockets and, and put it in the basket. But as, as I watched this happen, I was just, I was filled with joy to see the joy on their faces as they were giving to the Lord. Well, after the service, we Pastor Jackson took me and the other guy back to their back to his house. He and his wife Sarah wanted to uh, wanted to entertain us and uh, feed us lunch as a way of saying thank you. And just they're a very hospitable culture in Uganda. And so uh, we sat down in their house and we're talking. And I looked over and I noticed an avocado sitting there. It was it was part of the offering that had been given. Is what had been given to Pastor Jackson to sustain his family. And about 10 seconds after I noticed it, Pastor Jackson said, Do you like avocado? And I said, absolutely. And uh, I was torn. I didn't know, though. I didn't know if I, if I should say, yes, I like it, because I knew that he was wanting to cut this avocado and to serve it when it would be good for his family. But 
It's as if he and Sarah were both waiting for me to, to say if I liked it or not because there was a joy in there. They were waiting to share. It's as if they were saying, God has given us this gift for this particular day, for this particular reason, in order to serve you and to, to generously and graciously gift you in our presence. And so it was wonderful to sit down and to share this meal with them. But the kindness of their sharing... That's what really that's what really hit me in the midst of of their sharing. There was this joy. And so I, I, I bragged on how how great the avocado was because I wanted them to know that I greatly appreciated their generous, kind act of sharing their very few provisions with us. And there was this reciprocal joy in the in that moment of of this exchange where uh, they were sharing from God's abundant grace in their life and and I was sharing with them enjoying the fruit of what they were so willingly offering and bringing before the Lord I, I think the call for us as believers for the Corinthian church it's the same as we live on our faith in God we, we too ought to illustrate our great faith through our generous giving for the ministry of the gospel. We do this because we delight in God and and we experience the reciprocal joy of the Father when we place our lives under His providential care and trust. And as we endeavor to make disciples of the nations, we also ought to give graciously according to our means and even beyond what is expected. Why? For the glory of God. For the abundance of joy that we experience in walking in close fellowship with the Father. So the exhortation is to let our righteous living be matched by our gracious giving. Paul also exhorts the church to let Christ be their example. I would say let Christ be our example as well. There is the ultimate incentive, the wholehearted participation and and the purest motivation that is given in verse 8. Paul says, I'm not speaking this as a command. But as proving through the earnestness of others and the sincerity of your love also. Verse 9, for you know, listen, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. To quote from Colin Cruz in the Tyndale New Testament commentary, he says this, Paul isn't writing of Christ's economic poverty, but of the whole drama of redemption, especially the incarnation. It is salvation itself and the blessings of the new age involved in it that constitute the riches which Christ by his poverty enables believers to enjoy. Listen, in becoming poor, he suffered rejection. He suffered ridicule. He suffered persecution, betrayal. And suffering, all, uh, all of this suffering culminated in the agony of Gethsemane on the cross. He was abandoned. He was cut off. He, he experienced the cup of God's wrath against sin. This was the full price of our salvation. Christ's life by the grace of God. We see one who was rich pouring out himself becoming poor, that we might have the riches of Christ and eternal life and satisfaction in him. 
And so I would say the third exhortation for us into the Corinthian church is let your desire be rekindled. Verses 10 through 11. I give my opinion in this matter. For this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. Perhaps the, the lapse of a year has, has, has caused the Corinthians to lose their fervency and their desire to participate in ministering the gospel to the saints in Jerusalem. And so Paul urges them, he says, I give my opinion. In other words, to return back to what we were saying in the beginning, he could use his apostolic authority to command them. But instead, he wants to entreat them. He wants to invite them to participate because he knows when their gift is a command or when it's coerced, it doesn't come from love and grace. It comes from law. So his desire is to see them give in an overflowing or abounding or an excelling way. A way that matches their great faith. Because he knows the attitude with which one gives is a reflection of one's heart before God. Isn't that true for us? The attitude with which we give. It is a reflection of our heart before God. We're to be like the Macedonians of verse 2. Open hearted and open handed with what God has graciously entrusted to us. Now let me just take a moment to say this. I believe this is the overwhelming principle that we see throughout the New Testament. I believe this is why we don't see the tithe of 10% taught specifically by the New Testament writers. Because it's not about the command of 10%. It's about the generous and gracious giving of all that we have. Because of the grace that Christ has given us, we in turn are to give generously and graciously back to the Lord for His work, for the spreading of His gospel, for the kingdom of God to expand. And so we learn from early age that we are to give back to the Lord. And, and we do teach our children 10%. That we give back to God. We give 10%. And that, that ought to be the beginning. And quite frankly, I think that's just the assumed. That's just the assumption by the New Testament authors. But the exhortation is that we would give graciously as the Lord leads. So here, verse 12 and verse 15. Verse 13, rather, and verse 15. Well, I'll read verse 12. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. That is, the readiness to contribute, to give. Verse 13. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. Listen to verse 15. As it is written... He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. God provides exactly what we need. He's entrusted us with, with gifts and responsibility that we would be accountable to him for our biblical stewardship of everything. One of the ways that it shows up so evidently and obviously is, is where our hearts are before God in this matter of, of giving, giving back to him, of giving in the work of the ministry. And so I would ask this morning, does your desire to faithfully and generously give to the Lord need to be rekindled? 
Know this, that God is not lacking, but he wants your heart and your life to be engaged. He wants us to be engaged in this work of gracious giving. The point this morning is not to give more money. The point is about biblical stewardship. The point is about surrendering our lives to him, the lordship of Christ, and it's manifested so often because of the way that we are wired and how we contribute to the needs of the saints. When we first give ourselves to the Lord, God's work will be matched by God's supply through his people. And so this morning, I want to ask you to consider this. Consider whether or not your, your desire to contribute graciously needs to be rekindled. Maybe it needs to be established. Maybe this morning there is the transforming of God's grace that you need to be gripped by so that your action and your attitude is like the Macedonian church where there's joy, there's an abundance of joy and that you are following according to God's lead. This morning, I want to ask you to respond in a, a different way. I want you to just uh, just stay where you're at and consider consider your finances before the Lord. Ask God to search you. Ask God to search all of life and and, and, and ask him to teach you and reveal to you areas where you are being an unfaithful steward with what God has entrusted to you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to sit this morning in this place and to study your word together and to worship you. Lord, may we be at the place of the Macedonians and even the Corinthians as they're exhorted to participate, that we would be those who are giving, abounding, and excelling with an abundance of joy in our lives. God, may you foster within us a great desire to see your gospel go forward and to contribute even, Lord, so that we would show you and reflect back to you that you certainly are Lord of our lives, of our hearts, of all that we have. And so, Lord, as we this morning continue in this service and even have an opportunity uh, to, to give and to give our offerings before you in a moment, may we do so with a great joy in our heart, with a, a desire to, to support the work of your kingdom and to advance the work of your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.